Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to a live edition of Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. It seems so weird saying it in front of a TV camera because it's so long. <laughs> With me, my co-host, all the way from the chair next to me, is the blonde bombshell herself, Ann Kerrigan. Well, hello. So. This is odd. <laughs> you know, we're not really used to being next to each other. No. So I, I guess I'll have to behave myself. <laughs> I don't think you can. No, I can't anyways. How did you get to be the gatekeeper of the unknown and all that stuff anyways? That came out like uh, 15 years ago. Oh. Yeah. When the first show came out, I wanted to do this really interesting opening and... That's the crap I came up with. Okay. So there you go. Works for me. And 15 years later, it's still here. <laughs> so, no, the gatekeeper, because the show has always been meant to take you on a journey. Mm -hmm. And that's just what it says. And everything what it, that really says in the opening, it's, it's what it's about. Okay. You know, you yeah. will not believe, some won't. Uh, but, you know, is there, a, you know, science, religion, cra clash? You know, does it? Okay. So that's the answers that we're looking for. The Here unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. So you're feeling a little odd, right? Because this is our yes. first show. Yeah, yes. but that's all right. Yes. But we do have a good show because we share no expense in this. That's right. Because we, we, we pulled out all the stops. Right. We, we flew in a couple of real celebs, Paris celebs, mm -hmm. right? In the, at least in the UK. And... Uh, so I'll introduce them anyways. Uh, the first one we have is a uh, funny-looking gentleman from the UK, uh, from Wales, actually, excuse me. And he is the founder of Parascience. He has also um, been on that TV show over there, Most Haunted, which, oh, which yes. was on for 10 years or so. That was one of so. my favorite shows. I liked it, too. I really did. I know you stole the name I'd from love to East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just love to see that woman go screaming out of the room. I do, too. <laughs> I tr you know, in all fairness, I mean, I've investigated with Anne for quite a bit, and I've tried like hell to get her to go screaming out of the room, <laughs> and I haven't been able to do it yet, but I'm working on it. So anyways, he is the founder of Parascience, been on Most Haunted, he is uh, the Wall Street Journal column. Just get this out, okay? Mm -hmm. Figure this. Yeah. Wall Street Journal, which is a pretty mainstream newspaper. I would say so, yes. Yeah. They sent the reporter over to the U.K. to actually talk to this guy mm -hmm. for three days or something. And anyways, they, they dubbed him the Wall Street Journal, not me. Okay. The gold standard in ghost hunting. So without well, further ado, let me introduce to you our... First guest, uh, one of our guests, Mr. Steve Parsons. Steve? Hi, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you wish. Okay. Okay. Nice try. And, and, and that one that was just talking, the clone of Steve, is uh, a parapsychologist in the UK. He has written the book, uh, Phone Calls from the Dead, 
and also um, has a new one coming out called uh, Conversations with Ghosts. And you know, I can't believe that I've actually remembered both those titles. No, I'm extremely impressed. And he is uh, pretty amazing. Callum uh, Cooper. So welcome. Thank you very much. Oh, right. Steve's supposed to say welcome. So. Welcome. W welcome. <laughs> pleasure to have <laughs> me, me here. Absolute delight. Oh, thank you. All right, so so you guys have, uh, uh, you're a parapsychologist, you're a something. Ghostbuster. Ghostbuster. Ghostbuster, there you apparently. Go. You're a Ghostbuster. All right. You've been in the UK, <laughs> you've done television for both of you. In fact, you both completed a Japanese uh, special just a little while ago. I mean, what's the difference between working in television and just, you know, working? Uh, there isn't a lot. Of, the lights are brighter. <laughs> um, in television, but it, it, it's horses for courses, it depends exactly what you're doing. I mean, we're in a studio today and we're talking, uh, you know, that wouldn't be very different from, say, the radio show mm -hmm. or uh, an education type event. Uh, but what we've recently completed is a documentary, um, and in the case of that, we, we just went about a normal investigation process, and we had a t uh, film crew following us for the three days. There were cutaway interviews uh, amongst that where we had to explain some of the concepts that we were working with. Um, there were also, of course, you mentioned Most Haunted, um, and I apologise for that. No, <laughs> the British people. no we, we actually love it. We love Most Haunted, and that's I do. I thought it was a lot of fun. Oh, I yes. for that um, <laughs> landmark in, in, in Paranormal television, and of course you retaliated with Super Mario Brothers. Okay. Um, which you know I think is. But I believe he's referring to the Ghost Hunters. I, I could be wrong, oh. but I, I'm getting that Super Mario Brothers. Oh. Yeah. Right. You've got two plumbers chasing ghosts. It, okay. It was it was Super Mario Brothers. It works. Yeah. So uh, apparently. Yeah, so <laughs> I apologise, but most haunted was most people consider, um, and it, it's a, it's a kind of uh, I don't think it's like soap operas. I think people didn't quite get Most Haunted. Mm -hmm. Most Haunted, and to an extent Ghost Hunters and others, they're not ghost investigation programs. Um, no. That's the theme, but they're an entertainment program based on that theme. Oh, and the, okay. the, it's, it's really about marketing, it's about selling, um, mm -hmm. selling the ad breaks and hooking people back for the next show. Um, so it's but it's it's around a ghost theme. Okay. It could be around a an Alaskan crab fishery theme. <laughs> it could be around a towing company in the Carolinas. Um, or you watch way too much American uh, TV. Yeah. yeah. I know. <laughs> so it's it's an entertainment television program first and foremost. It's not really investigative. And one of the problems, of course, is a lot of people assume that the investigation methods used on the program are good investigation methods for them going out and investigating the paranormal. Okay. Mm -hmm. mm. The, the TV can display whatever it wants to, so long as it's sending out the right message that they wanted to the audience. Some of the stuff that I've done before when um, it's just a clear debate between a paranormal believer and then they want the resident skeptic and the scientist, and they try and, at least they want a clear black and white argu um, argument for the audience, so the scientist tends to have to play more of the cynic role than the skeptic. So they're coming up with all these rational explanations to possibly explain away the paranormal so there isn't any chance that it could kind of leak through. And that's probably the difference between TV and the real world. In the real world, the scientist 
Now, they're in it for a reason. I think they're just looking for truth. They're not going to still push away the evidence, hopefully, even if it's right in front of them. So sometimes you might not get always a clear or honest view when it comes to the TV and the paranormal compared to the real world. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Cal, you're a parapsychologist, and most people think parapsychologists is a ghost hunter. But that's kind of not true at all, right? Oh, that's right. Um, parapsychology um, as natural science Um, kicked off after psychical research in the 1930s in the university-based setting where people... They did. They did. It kicked off. It kicked (laughs) off. It really got in there. It got its foot in the door. Um, In the 1930s, with a bang, there was a big party and everything that said parapsychology starts right here. Um, So that was all lab-based testing of psychic phenomena. There were still investigations, field investigations of seances and some hauntings, but it really um, started there in the academic curriculum and just progressed from there. It moved away from investigations of hauntings, ghosts and poltergeists. Um, So there's only very few, just a select few, you could probably count them on one hand, how many parapsychologists actively go out and investigate hauntings and ghosts. I mean, we know of Dr. Karen O'Keefe from... Most haunted. Thank you. <laughs> I apologize once again. <laughs> and, of course, we know Lloyd Abrek, who is probably our most famous uh, parapsychologist who deals with ghosts. Uh, what, what's the, who, who else does that in, in parapsychology? Well, Dr. Cal Cooper. Well, I mean, I'm beside you, Cal. I, I apologize. Dr. Simon Sherwood as well. Dr. Anne Winsper. There are, there are, within the UK, there are probably three or four. Um, there are three or four in America as well, James Horan. Mm-hmm. As, has investigated haunting. James uh, Randy? James Horan. Oh, they said Randy. That's a whole new uh, different horse. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, as another one who's uh, who's specializing mainly in poltergeist phenomena. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, is is parapsychologists who study ghosts the black sheep of the parapsychology family? They do tend to be. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it's very rare when you get like a, a main conference or presentation of, of the latest research going on. You might get the odd one paper that looks at ghosts, poltergeists, or hauntings. And personally, I don't think a great deal of attention is actually paid to it when really it should. You know, usually that's the one I'm looking out for when it comes to the latest conference. That's actually, the one. They're I'm all secret ghost hunters because when we when we, when we go to the uh, conference with the Society for Psychical Research, it's absolutely chock full of psychologists. And we have to sit through endless days of interminable psychobabble about transpersonal psychology and the Gansfeld and all this sort of stuff. And then it comes to the ghost hunting day and we present the results of a, an investigation or something related. Chock block. Are they called or come up? That was really interesting. They're all secret ghost hunters. <laughs> Every one of them. The trouble is they're probably afraid of the dark. <laughs> or afraid of losing their funding. Oh. Because playing safe, they, uh, I, you know, yeah. remember the line in Ghostbusters, I like universities, they give you money, you don't have to produce anything, <laughs> I think, is, is, is applicable. The private sector expects results. Mm-hmm. Oh, Doctor. yeah, that's a good <laughs> <Doctor> <laughs> okay. So, I mean, uh, Steve, you're a ghost hunter, but, I mean, uh, today, I don't know, it, it, it's, it's a strange world we live in, I think about, because... There's so many people out there who have created groups, and, and there are so many, many groups. Like I said, I've said it a hundred times that, you know, when I started, there was like 24 in the country. Now there's like 24 in any trailer park. And uh, it's really amazing. And a lot of them will... Fox sisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anyways, <laughs> it's amazing because they use instruments, and we discuss some of these instruments that they use, like the K2 meter and... And they call themselves scientific. Are they being scientific uh, 
And and how is that defined for ghost hunting? Well, as it's a one-off show and I'm going three and a half thousand miles away after it, <laughs> uh, they, are, they are absolutely not being scientific. The K2 meter is well, it's a toy. Um, science is not about the equipment. Science is a met methodology. It is a series of processes that starts with an idea or a discovery and then you test the idea and then you evaluate the results and then you look at retesting and then you put it to peer review and publishing. Um, I mean, a monkey can do science. You don't need to have a K2 meter. In fact, you're not doing science with a K2 meter because a K2 meter was built by the manufacturer to do a very oh, specific job. You do it if you use it for a specific well, job. It's yeah, it, was, it was built to do a very specific mm -hmm. job. It says so on the instruction sheet. It's designed to look for electromagnetic radiation from man-made sources, your cell phone, your microwave oven. The idea that you can then, with no rational or uh, rationale or logic at all, apart from some guy on a television program, or some company in Florida saying, hey, we can knock these out at 79.99, mm -hmm. um, and talk to dead people by looking at the flashy lights. There is no science. I, I mean, I've seen groups' websites where they, they say, they list their equipment, and they have their psychic equipment, and they have the science equipment. And I'll just give you a quick quote. You obviously have the Ouija board and the medium listed on the psychic side, but they include the dowsing rods, um, on the on the science side, to do you do? I know that. With a camera, um, it, just because it's got a battery in it doesn't mean it does science. Okay. Okay. Oh, I think a lot of our our listeners will be disappointed <laughs> to no, hear that. It's you know? it, they shouldn't really be disappointed because it, it, they should do what they want to do. If that's what they want to do, that's fine. But just. You shouldn't really. It's nothing wrong with amateur investigators. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. But if you if you look in terms of, for example, archaeology or astronomy, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the Biederman comet. Um, these great discoveries were made by amateurs, and science comes or men of science come come along later, and they take the glory. Um, the problem with amateur investigators is that they need to up their game. And they just need to work to a good standard. Uh, the best evidence that we're, we're exploring the human experience. And so what we need is people and more accounts of their experiences. And let's look at for a quick, quick take at full spectrum photography, which is huge at the moment. Um, they're using it to look for apparitions. They're using it to look for ghosts in the infrared and the ultraviolet range, which is seems logical, except the original witness saw the apparition in the visible range. That's right. So what we need to do is, first of all, study the witness experience. The witness saw the, the, the apparition, so anything else is superfluous. Mm -hmm. Start with the known and work out to the unknown. Until we understand what the witness saw, there's no point in looking anywhere else because anything you find is likely to mislead you. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the criticism, of, of course, of many things, I mean, is uh, I, I know when my book came out, Ghost Chronicles, and the, you, I don't know if you've ever, oh, no, you haven't published a book. I'm sorry about that. No, I don't um, have a single book. Uh, I've never written a book. Unlike Cal. Nothing to say. But the, the, uh, the titles, uh, that's, that's a pr private joke. <laughs> 
all week it's been like that. All week. <laughs> the title of it is actually selected by the publisher. So an hours is a medium and a and a scientist. Okay. So one of the big criticisms I received that if there is no such thing as a paranormal scientist. So it, it's kind of like there's no such thing as a paranormal expert. And and what what is your response to that? And, well, actually, let's start with Cal Callum there. What's his name? Cal. Um. I believe you can be an expert of your own field of study. I mean, I'm not specifically trained as just a parapsychologist. I'm trained as a psychologist. That's how I started out. So I, I branched out into loads of different areas of psychology um, to gain a, a general understanding of psychology itself. So that's, you know, educational psychology, child psychology, um, forensic psychology, and many different things before I got... Um, the degree, and then after that, I, I honed in on specific things that I wanted to specialize in, so research methods, death, dying, and bereavement, but more so parapsychology, so looking at what everyone has gathered from this topic that we don't really understand, these paranormal events, um, what are the kind of common experiences going on, what lab research has actually been done to kind of test people for these psychic abilities, is there any evidence for survival of death? So from the existing data that we have, I have fairly good knowledge of that. I'm, I'm happy to say that I do. But do I know what the paranormal is itself, how it works, how it operates? No, I don't. I'm not an expert in that, but I'm an expert in the field of the study of that. Um, that's as far as I go to say that there's such thing as an expert. How would you put it, sir? How would you put it, Steve? Good what point. What is it that ghost hunters are measuring? They're measuring temperature, humidity, electromagnetic radiation, and Lux. the physical environment. And I have degree qualifications in exactly that subject. But I also have nursing degree as well, so that allows me to uh, understand the measurements of, uh, of anatomy and physiology. But both together, um, I'm used to working with a high degree of precision um, because it's, it's important in both fields, engineering and in medicine, that you work to a high degree of precision. And they are the perfect tools for ghost hunting. And I, I, I'm qualified, um, and I'm still currently qualified um, in those branches so that makes me an expert ghost hunter because that's what ghosts that's what ghost hunters measure and mm -hmm. um, moreover if we look at modern uh, modern equipment that's coming coming out uh, like thermal imaging um, I know Ron's just bought a thermal imaging camera yeah I got a fur now um, <laughs> when we got our camera I, I knew it was important to spend 700 700 pounds, so that's around about $1,000, to do the training course to get the qualifications in order to be able to, to operate the equipment properly. Okay. I think we have a question. Right, well, this is actually what we're going to mention. Uh, is you, You're listening to Ghost Chronicles right here on East Bridgewater's... East Bridgewater Community Television. Yeah, that too. And uh, it, it's also being uh, shown on TojiNet. And you can join the TojiNet chat room and uh, ask your questions for uh, any of us up here. Mm -hmm. So we do have a question. We're going to ask you to come in a little closer because I can't read it. Come closer, Emily. I can't see <laughs> Come a little closer. That's all right. You're going on camera. It's our first show. That's fine, Emily. It's okay. Oh, I think I can read it. There you okay. go. Okay. Question from Steve. Do you, Cal and Steve feel that televised ghost hunting has improved or damaged the field of ghost hunting or parapsychology? 
in terms of popularity and scientific application. Thank you for finishing. <laughs> Thank you. I, was I mean, this is our first show, so <laughs> I mean, we're going to work out the kinks on some of this. Thank you, Emily. Thanks, Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. The question is to you. It's a double-edged sword because there are a lot of people who have got into uh, ghost hunting through the media. I mean, Kieran O'Keefe. Uh, his interest was sparked by, by the Ghostbusters movie. Um, lots of people realised for the first time that ghost hunting may not, who, had, who may have had an interest, but realised for the first time that it, it wasn't an exclusive pursuit, that they too, you know, be they plumber or, or makeup lady, they, they too could, could go out ghost hunting. Um, and a lot of people have pursued that interest to as I said before, they've raised the game, and we do have lots of good investigators here in, here in America and over in the UK who started by watching TV uh, ghost hunting programs. Even, even before uh, Most Haunted, uh, we had Arthur C. Clarke series and, and others in the UK, and possibly over here too. Okay. Um, but it is a double-edged sword because, as I said earlier, a lot of people don't go beyond that realization that they can do it too and you end up in a situation where instead of going to the movies on a Saturday night with a bag of popcorn and watching The Exorcist for a scary night out, you they go with their friends and their K2 meters for an interactive scary night out, but they, they, which is great, but they mix it up and think that that's real investigation and instead of producing results and submitting it for peer review and analysis and contributing... Oh, wait a minute. I disagree. They put it on Facebook. I was just about to say. Yeah, you know, that's... Where's my lines from? Well, yeah, that's... Why ask the question? Whatever. Now, now the they do post it on Facebook. That's their peer review. And they... That's not peer review because if you argue with them, you get blocked. Right. Yeah, well, they were their peers, but, uh, you know... They are only your peers until... Until you know you, they dare you dare question them, mm. um, but it's it is a double-edged sword. I mean, we, now in the UK we have people doing live tweets from ghost investigations. Uh, I've done that before. Stay tuned for our live tweet. Now, you know, like nothing heard in session three. <laughs> Footsteps reported in. I'm going to. I'm I'm losing the will to live. Steve's mentioned the, the bad aspects that have come from it, but certainly the good ones is it's brought an awareness for parapsychology and the genuine research that's going on. We've had quite a few students come to the university just to study parapsychology because they had an interest in such shows, mm -hmm. but that meant that they had to get serious about it and actually want to study an entire psychology degree right. and wait for that third year program they've been longing for in parapsychology so that they can actually look at the, the real science behind I it. I think that's the key, Callan. I think you hit that right on the note. They have to work for it. A lot of groups uh, don't really want to work for it. They'll, they see these haunted locations, and they, they want to know, how did you get into that haunted location? In other words, uh, I don't know about you, Steve, but I, I know through years of work and stuff, I mean, you have to build up rapport with a lot of places. You have to build up a name for yourself. It's not just thrown out there. And A lot of locations there if you offer them money. And, of course, a lot of locations <laughs> are in it for the money. Uh, That's true, too. Uh, right. yeah. no, I, I've got no, I've got no yeah, objection. You know, I've got no objection if the building needs a new roof and they, a few hundred dollars or a few hundred pounds isn't going to, it's a good contribution. A donation. And you can't blame them for doing it. But when it gets to the cost of, as we're paying in the UK, over a thousand pounds for a night, mm -hmm. and all that buys you is six hours and not, not even a bowl of cornflakes at the end of the night. <laughs> 
uh, I mean, a thousand pound for six hours in a damp building, and then they restrict you to 20 people. Mm -hmm. 20 people, imagine that. Only 20 people oh, on a ghost hunt. Oh, oh, that's a shame, yeah. Goodness. That must be a real that good... That must be nearly double what we had the other night. <laughs> <laughs> well, we probably had a better investigation than your 20 people did. We had a great And, uh, you know, we actually did a Harry Price investigation, right. which was kind of cool. Old man's, right? right. Yeah. And we used uh, Harry... Very cool spot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You've been there, right? I have. In fact, you were there before I ever did. Yes, I That's was. Right. Yeah. La dee da. <laughs> wow. It's... it's <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's an awesome historic spot. You told me you were in the Minutemen. Well. I was. It was, was. Yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. yeah I've been in a lot of things, but anyway. <laughs> so, let's move on. I want to switch to a little bit to make this a little interesting. Oh okay. Boy. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so far, we haven't been interested. No, it's been... Oh, no. Should we do our own show? Yeah, we'll smooth the camera. Yeah, bloody accidents put me to sleep. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You came all the way from the UK to be treated like this? You just said, wow. you just said a, a word that in British television would have had your show taken off the air in England. Oh, that's a shame. We're in America, land of the free. <laughs> they're, they're just beeping him out, actually. He thinks he's getting away with this, but you, it's just beeps behind the camera. So, I am, I am getting Ian involved in this. Oh, boy. And this is, is okay. brave beyond belief. Okay. Yes, I am. Do we have a, we have a studio <laughs> clock? Forget it. Anyway, anybody can do a countdown for us. Uh, I do it every week along, along with you. <laughs> Like a minute, if, if I have a minute, minute. you guys do it, yeah? Mm, Give me a, after a minute. minute. So here's the deal. So here's the deal what I want to do. This is kind of new. I need something. <coughs> Good. Okay. So Anne is going to ask a question, and Steve is going to have one minute to answer that question. Okay. And then Cal will have one minute to answer that question. Same one. It'll be the same question. And then we'll reverse it because we don't want to give Kelly the last word every time. So okay. I don't think Steve would. So, so you can ask anything about the paranormal or ghosts. And, and think about this. And they will answer. They have one minute to get it. So they, that's it. Do you want me to start for you? Yes, please, because I'm kind of... Do you of need a minute to think of the question? I, no. I think I need a minute right. to think I, of the I'll, question. I'll just, I'll just give you an idea, and, and you really should. Okay, so let's start out with the obvious question, and we'll, we'll give it to Mr. Parsons. Are we all set? Okay, Parsons, pay attention. We are set. Ready? Your question is, what is a ghost? The simple answer is, in under a minute, we don't know. But a ghost is it's a broad-spectrum word like the word car, automobile. Uh, if you see a grey, shapeless apparition out the corner of your eye, you'll say you see a ghost. If you see a figure wearing a British uniform at the Mount St. Concord, and it suddenly winks out, you're seeing a ghost. If you hear a rapping, you'll have experienced a ghost. All of the mechanisms might be entirely different. So the, sh the longer answer is, we just don't know. Did he get that over a minute? He did? Son of a gun! I think I could probably beat All that. right, so, Cal, are you ready? Are we ready there? Ready? Go, Cal. Um, a ghost, they can also typically be termed as hallucinations, a visual hallucination. Could be anything from seeing a full figure of a person to just mists or some shapes within a building, sometimes known to be haunted, not necessar uh, necessarily haunted, but usually seen by a person, usually. Um, doesn't always have to be a person. Could be an animal ghost as well. You don't think there are animal ghosts, there, there are um, animal ghosts reported? Um, psychologists will call it a sensory experience, psychiatrists might call it delusional, but that is a ghost. It's 
usually a visual hallucination. You skeptic. Yes. This is working really good. This is the first time I've ever seen him shut up in less than a minute. Wow. <laughs> so, do you have a question, Ann? Okay, Last presenter. Here we go. And Cal, you get the first. I get yes. the first. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Okay. So Cal gets the first question. Would you consider orbs part of a paranormal investigation? A valid part of an investigation? No, most definitely not. No. No. And why? No. I have to throw in why. And, and why? Is that too simple a question? Two minutes now. <laughs> <laughs> One minute. Your time's running. Why? Um, there was always reason to doubt when they first came out, and it was obviously something to do with the cameras that was capturing them. And then Steve came into it. No, nope. I'm done. Yes, uh, we're, not, we're not bounding it. We want your answer. <laughs> I am his answer. Yes, he's my I'm, scapegoat. Because my research was the answer. His research was the answer, so that's my answer. My answer is Steve is the answer. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. That was under a minute. One minute. Right at the time he's got left over. No, you don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> One minute. Orbs first appeared on digital cameras in the late 1990s as a, as a brand new phenomenon. Um, and it was the frequency of the phenomenon that was the problem. Because if it was paranormal, it should be, by definition, quite rare. There were, there were many explanations offered. One of the most reasonable seemed to be that airborne dust particles, water or rabbits would reflect the, the light from the flash straight back down the lens and cause these circular light anomalies. In the late 2000s, Fuji in Japan released the world's first 3D stereo digital camera, which had two identical cameras in the same body using one flash, so that when you press the picture uh, button, you had two simultaneous pictures. We used that camera and we took to date over 5,000 stereo pair images. That's 10,000 individual photographs. If the orb is dust, it would appear differently on both sides of the, <coughs> the stereo pair. The left and right would never have an identical orb. Done. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? Uh, that's Adam. I'm surprised. Adam, thank you. And I finished Wait. it on a minute. I did. You did uh, very close to that. So do we have another one from? Oh, wow. You didn't say I had more than one. <laughs> well, so, no, that's right. If you don't, then I'll, I'll give one more. We'll do, we'll do two more questions, and then we'll move on to something else. Oh, but okay. I, I, I really like this, and I think this is interesting, because most of the time you can't get them to shut up. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it works out really good. I want to talk more about orbs. Can we come back to that, though? Yeah, yeah we can definitely come <laughs> no, 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 no. You had your one minute on the orby thing. We'll, okay. get, we'll come back to orbs, though. Right. Definitely. We'll, we'll most definitely come right. back to orbs. I, I pr published a paper called Orbs are a Load of Balls. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? That's not the, the thing that we're looking for. <laughs> it was a scientific okay. Okay. was accepted. So... A person, and this goes to Steve first, okay, a person sees an apparition in the house and calls you. Who are you going to call? <laughs> what do you do? The very first thing I do, and I had this question at the ASAP conference only recently, is I generally ask him to call me back in two weeks and I, apolog I apologize for being really busy and say, yes, I think we might be able to help you, but can you call me in two weeks' time? Because that way we get rid of the attention seekers and the people who just want you know, talk to them. If they call back in two weeks, then we'll take it more seriously. But you only asked about what do I do when the phone first rings. Right. So how would you proceed after that? You're still going? Well, you only gave me. Oh. I've answered the first question in under a minute. He's right.
<laughs> All right, I'll give you that one. Oh, we actually have another question. Oh, well, we, we have Cal's answer. We'll hold off on that one for a second while we get Cal's in. My answer to that is almost similar. Most of the time, I, I don't get a call. I usually get an email, but the email actually explains really everything they're already experiencing. Yeah. So on similar grounds, I say, them up the <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm busy at the moment. I can't answer this. No, I say, um, keep a diary and um, get back to me. I keep a diary, get back to me in couple of weeks or so if it starts to continue and so forth. And again, that has filtered out a lot of the genuine accounts. From okay, so we all kind of agree that we do get these people that are looking for something other than real help. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have a, a question, and this is Emily. Yes, Emily has another question Adam, for us. Adam, thank you for your help, by the way. This question is from Steve, and uh, how do Steve and Cal Dif differentiate between ghost contact and spirit contact. Ooh, that's a good one. Well, that first of all looks at the definition. Yeah, more than a minute, by the way. Mm. Definition of a spirit and a ghost, which are actually two entirely separate phenomena. A ghost is, as I said before, a broad range of experiences, uh, mostly apparitional, but does include other sensory experiences too. A spirit <laughs> is a complete is and that they are muddled up interchangeably, but the spirit is considered to be the departed or the, the, the uh, some part of us, the soul that survives death. And that is specific to the spiritualist movement. Uh, Harry Price in the 1930s, um, one of the, the, the first of the, the modern era ghost hunters, would, often would try to often make the case, and it's a case I make too, ghost hunting is has got nothing whatsoever to do with survival of death research. Um, so I think, we, first of all, before we can even answer that question, we have to make those, those definitions. So having made the definitions... Um, for me, um, I've always found that spiritual contact is more something, again, as you mentioned with spiritual, and something of the seance room. And um, so the, the raps and taps within that and the... What the spiritualist movement got involved in the holding of hands and sitting around in the dark, whereas ghost contact is this confrontation that's actually seeing something, experiencing something within a building. You're alone; it could be spontaneous, and more so, you could say that a ghost experience is something that is spontaneous, and the spiritual one is a sought experience. So that's how I would define. So wouldn't would you? Ionic contact burns. I mean, they're <laughs> <laughs> sad for that. Um, anyways, so wouldn't you really say that? when you investigate, when you study, you're really studying or investigating the paranormal, and therefore, once you start your investigation, then you can discern whether it's spiritual activity or ghost activity. First of all, you, uh, I'd like to correct the mis mistake you just made there. I don't think I make mistakes. I usually you never said, do. You said that we go to investigate the paranormal. That's not the case. We can't investigate the paranormal. We can only investigate the normal. We investigate reports of the paranormal, my apologies. But there are no experts. In terms of <laughs> measuring and investigating, we can only measure and investigate the normal. Um, it's the bit that we're left over with, the bit that we can't measure is the bit that we, we should be interested in. But before that, we have to eliminate all of the bits that we can measure, not just automatically assume that the, that the scratchy noises on the EVP recorder however convincing they might appear once you've told everybody what it says, 
listen, Martha, it says, get out of here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, it does. And then you, if you play that, you know, so you can invest it. It's like throwing balls at a coconut shy. You knock a few coconuts down, but one or two coconuts will still be stood there. And they're the coconuts you really need to work at. Mm -hmm. Throw more balls at them, and we need to know why are they still on the on the stands. Right, uh, as my good friend Richard Felix say, once you've chucked off all the normal boxes, what's left is what you're stuck. I prefer the balls one. <laughs> yeah, well, it's more in keeping with my concept of orbs. You would, and we're going to get to that very shortly as soon as we hear uh, Cal's answer on that. On what? <laughs> On, on the differentiation between ghosts and... and, and uh, I gave you an answer just before you yeah. did. He, he followed on. He was correcting you on something you said. Yes. Yeah. I've already did. answered. You sure That's you why did. I was confused just then. You sure did. He did. He did. Oh, we have another question. Oh, no. We have another question. Okay. Uh, this is a question from dhaunt68. Whoops. What has been the most fascinating historical place you have investigated, Steve? Without any shadow of a doubt, it has to be Borley. Um, what happened to the old match? <laughs> what? You and lied to me. They're one and the same. Uh, you lied to me. What was I saying the other night? It was Borley Rectory, the old man's conquered. The old man's is your nine out of Borley, Borley Rectory was a building in the, uh, about 60 miles north of London in a tiny village hamlet, um, which from, it was first built in the 1860s, and from before the time it was built, and indeed from, uh, immediately after the building existed, it was reported to be haunted by the figure of a nun, by a headless, or a stagecoach driven by headless coachmen, and all manner of other phantoms and apparitions. In 1927, the rector contacted the British Daily Mail, uh, Daily Mirror newspaper, asking for the help um, to be put in touch with the Society for Psychical Research. Sensing a story, the paper sent a newspaper reporter along, and they also contacted Harry Price. Harry Price was, at the time, and it, uh, Britain's leading ghost hunter, and as we demonstrated at the Manson Concord, all of the techniques that modern ghost hunters use relate to Price and the investigation at Borley. The rectory burnt down in 1939 and was finally demolished in 1944, but much of the site remains. And I was fortunate enough to, to do two overnight investigations uh, in the building that now currently occupies the site. And although nothing happened, um, it was just being there, being in the footsteps of my, of my hero, my childhood hero. And oh, thank you. And, <laughs> and being able to sort of, I don't know, I, I have no psychic ability, but it was to be able to share some of the experience of Price to walk the, sort of the lanes, the nuns walk, to lean against the walnut tree in the, in the grounds, and indeed to come back with a brick uh, from the... So you pilfered a brick from the Borley Rectory? Very good. Yeah, oh. okay, sure you did. That's what they all say. <laughs> so without shadow of doubt, it's Borley Rectory for me. That's awesome. So uh, I, they, didn't ask, they didn't ask Cal, but Cal, I mean... It's not that important, that's why. <laughs> Cal, I mean... What's the most... It's the most interesting laboratory you've been in. It's the most interesting <laughs> historical experiment you've ever. No, <laughs> if you're gonna. Gansfeld. Oh, it was brilliant. I, I remember that day. Fantastic. Anyway, it was um, Clifton Hall. Um, I was there on and off for two years, 
and um, what the people um, that have been living there reported was um, at the time that we took over was headless apparitions, blood splatters on the children's oh, yeah. streets, oh, the walls were shaking, um, uh, also um, bilocations as well, modern day apparitions of the living, um, especially the people that were living there, their children were seen in one area of the hall, vanished, and so then they go back. Yeah, yeah, they go back to the other area of the hall where the family were, and lo and behold, the child be there. Yet they were talking to it in the other area of the hall from two different angles. The mother and the grandmother would see the child on the stairs and she'd disappear. Um, but I first went there in 2004 or five, and the place was like your classic haunted mansion. It got tiled floors that were all cracked up, a reception that was left alone covered in cobwebs and dust, and all the lights were flickering carpets torn up but all the paintings and statues still left there it was just like someone had completely abandoned it um, but when we went back they completely refurbished the whole place but the activity um, was still interesting you, you were hearing strange noises and whistling that couldn't be tracked down objects were drawn around that seemed to move still and um, I went in several times and uh, got to be part of a group that witnessed these strange things going on. And it had some great history. King Charles I had stayed there in 1632, I think it was. A King Charles, anyway. Probably got the King Charles wrong. Whatever. King Charles I. Oh, I'm okay then. So it's about like, 25 to 5? I'm okay then. Whatever. But that's, that's, and that's, in, that's what you need to do. I mean, to go into a place for a few hours on a single night. <laughs> America wasn't important. To go into a place for a few hours on a single night, what are you going to get from that? I mean, you need to go. Yeah, what we need is the. We need to pull up outside in time. three big black vans with <laughs> logos on the side. That's right. Load all the kit out. Yes. Spend two or three hours there, load all the kit back up, go to the hotel the next morning with our donuts and coffee and go, hey, dude! Got an arm. Then we got an arm. Team jackets and t-shirts as well. You forget this. reveal, and then we can sell merchandise. Oh, well, there. I was actually a doppelganger once. Really? Both of you. True story. Did it pay well? Yeah, it did. It actually. When we went to Gettysburg with my good friend Richard Ferelix, you remember him, Steve, don't you? I've worked with him many times. Yeah, yeah, He did mention you. Yeah, yeah. We, we rented a uh, we rented a, a house a little round top and uh, I went in one door and uh, Maureen came in after me and she saw me in the other room there and then I went up the stairs and then I came out of the other door and she says what are you doing here you just went that way it wasn't me it was she swore it was me she absolutely swears today that it was me it was a doppelganger okay. so there you go oh we actually have another question another question. This uh, question is for Cal. What inspired him to write telephone calls from the dead, and has his experience changed his perception of life after death? Well, how that happens in my past life, uh, I called Cal and said, Cal, why don't you write a book called <laughs> Telephone oh, Calls from oh, the Dead? Okay. I was like, you're going to be Ron Kolick one day. This is fascinating <laughs> stuff. I will do some research. Oh, how did you? That's a good question, actually. Um, at university, while studying parapsychology, I was reading a lot of books by the late um, psychical researcher Raymond Bayliss and parapsychologist D. Scott Rogo and I found that they'd actually collaborated on one book called Phone Calls from the Dead um, but I was collecting so many books at the time I didn't actually get around to reading it straight away it just went on the pile of all the other books that I got and then eventually I picked it up and thought oh, this is quite interesting it just so happened at the same time 
there was um, a report in the news of a train crash that took place in California in 2008. And the guy at the head of the train was mentioned, a guy called Charles Peck, who was allegedly phoning... Is the same guy who was in the ghost hunters? Uh, no, that was Walter Peck. Oh, Walter Peck. Oh, his <laughs> brother. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and um, anyway, um, people believed, or his family believed, that he was constantly calling them on the cell phone. He would ring his daughter, his son, his wife. Whenever they picked up, they just heard static. Um, they recovered his body. He died on first impact, yet he'd been calling or texting um, some four hours after the crash and his phone was never recovered. Now, there's loads of rational explanations that could be put there. The fascinating thing was, though, it was advertised as a phone call from the dead, and therefore the family also believed it was a phone call from the dead as well. So this went out to a wide audience, suggesting that such things are you know, potentially possible. Um, so I went about seeing if these cases are actually more common than we think. Did it actually expand beyond the book by Rogo and Bayliss? Uh, so I trawled through all the parapsychology journals and books uh, that I could to actually find any reference to these cases. And there was very few. I really struggled. There's only two other books, both by Raymond Bayliss and Scott Roger, that followed up with another chapter, but added nothing new. Um, so I decided to look into new accounts with mobile phones, text messages, and emails, of which there were quite a few going about. And when I had emails from people or phone calls saying that they would had such cases, I either went to meet them or we had long email correspondence about them, or at least had one phone call with them to speak to them. And some of the cases that I looked at were unpublished ones by D. Scott Rogo. They were followed up, they were from interviews, and uh, they never got published because um, Scott Rogo passed away in 1990 and Bayless in 2004. They never actually continued the research. Um, so with my book, it's an analysis of another 50 accounts. They did 50 accounts, I did 50 accounts. I probably had about 80 sent to me in all, but there's about 30 that either were just too weak a case, didn't seem credible enough, couldn't follow it up with an interview. So you have this nice round number of 50 for the analysis. Um, has my opinion changed after writing the book? Um, I certainly found, for me, there was three cases that I really could not shed any possible rational explanation as to how it could have gone on. Having discussed with the people involved all these possible avenues and spoken to the telephone companies involved in the particular case, um, so I'm open to the possibility people were having these experiences. I can't deny that. Um, but at least, oh, has my opinion changed? I don't know. I'm still like that. I was probably like that when I started. I'm a bit more like that now. <laughs> I know Steve's like that. Right now. So, Steve, are you up there somewhere? I have never written a book. So, Steve, how did you write your book? Oh, well, that's right. You I never wrote your book. No, getting there. It's, it's actually quite <coughs> good not to have to sell anything. <laughs> it's different. It might be different next year because Cal and I are writing. Money is so last Tuesday. The <laughs> definitive book on paracoustics, which looks at how to record, how to analyse, and the academic research um, uh, of all related sound and uh, paranormal phenomena. Um, but I find it quite quite refreshing not to have to sell anything because, although I have. I should add, I've never written a book, but I've contributed to well over 50. You know, this is not exactly true, because no, on well the way over here, on the way over here, Steve told me he sold AstroTurf. AstroTurf. <laughs> AstroTurf. Yes, AstroTurf. Now, did you, or did you not tell me you sold AstroTurf? Um, I created, uh, marketed, uh, and invented a product called Astral Turf. When we were in Ireland at the Dublin Paracon, 
when we were in the green room, um, we discovered 9% of them are dust or moisture uh, or other airborne stuff in the paranormal. So uh, you don't know for certain that they're not. Now, the experiment we did, um, there was no 1%. There was never an orb in the same place twice, which meant it had to confer, um, conform fully to the orb zone theory. Mm -hmm. um, so it was 100% normal, 0% paranormal. There are other phenomena in Wales. We have the corpse candle, which and in corpse candle, and in English. and in America you have the willow the wisp which are little glowing balls of light that people report. Now, clearly they were reported before the advent of any photography. Mm -hmm. So the, the research that I've done only pertains to digital photography. And I didn't seek to convince people that, um, that you can't see faces in orbs and that orbs are de <coughs> and angelic <coughs> entities and that pink orbs are for girls and blue orbs oh. are for boys and all of this other stuff that people believe. But there are groups you know, uh, and websites, especially, I, I think www.flatearth.org.uk is one that's very, very good uh, for mm -hmm. all believers. We'll be sending them to the Flat Earth Society because there are people who believe still that the Earth well, I know you have a copy of the book, How to Photograph the Paranormal, and, and it deals quite a... through orbs. And it deals, I mean, this is a learned person. I believe it's a doctor that wrote it, right? I mean, how do you answer that? I mean, this is what they believe, that this is orbs. I mean, someone will show you a picture of an orb, and they'll not just say, oh, there's a ghost. They'll say, oh, that's my cousin Elmer, who died in 1932. Well, I, I, as, as I uh, at uh, Dining with the Dead at the Wyndham restaurant, uh, we actually, and, and at Spirit Quest, I'll be doing a similar um, demonstration, mm -hmm. uh, where we, we have a, a, we were in Wicklow Jail in Ireland, and we took some pictures while the medium was talking to um, a little orphan girl called Annie. Oh, after you. Orphan Annie. Oh. Um, and as, as he was talking to little, I'm not kidding you, <laughs> it was Annie and she was an orphan. And he, he didn't say it, but we were all going, little orphan Annie. Uh -huh. um, I took a picture and I showed him a picture on the camera and he gave us a sheet of paper that said, yes, that's exactly where he perceived Annie. And that's exactly, uh, and he signed that paper that that was the the orb represented the spirit energy as he perceived it of little orphan Annie. But it was the digital stereo camera that was used, and I'll show you little orphan Annie on the left side, and no little orphan Annie on the right side. But if we talk about believers, when we published the results, we had over 200 stereo pairs on our web page because obviously we didn't put 10,000 on it. Um, and we had uh, responses like, well, of course, that proves the paranormal because they're only on one picture, through to great research, guys. Have a look at picture 16. There's a face in the orb on the left. On the left <laughs> You're not going to convince everybody. So it, it's almost like a religious belief. Well, some people will have that extreme need to believe for a very good reason. There was a book that I showed you the other day, which obviously you had, I saw it and thought Steve must have that. And went, yeah, and it was about orbs. Again, another uh, learned, learned person with a PhD had um, written it with someone else. And the main thing when I looked at the back was how much comfort people were gaining from them. So the main thing that they were using them for was um, uh, bereavement recovery. You know, associating the orb that they'd taken in a photograph in their home or 
in the home of their deceased relative, they were finding that comforting, knowing that in some form they continued on. But you know, aside from, from the orbs, there are far more kind of comforting experiences that people have during bereavement, sensing the presence of the dead, a smell of their um, tobacco or perfume that they can relate to, or hearing bangs and taps that are very symbolic to them. So. I'm asking an awful lot of questions. Okay, we just got so the two-minute warning. We have a quick question, so you guys are going back to the 30-second roll. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do Cal and Steve see in store for the future of investigating the paranormal? 30 seconds. Uh, I see it getting better. We're learning all the time, and in the past few years, we've become, I think, a lot more accepting of uh, a multidisciplinary uh, approach. Multidisciplinary. Multidisciplinary. Yeah, multidisciplinary. Yeah. yeah. Steve doesn't like so many psychologists being involved, and I, I can understand that. And um, so Steve is coming at it from um, a perspective that isn't psychology with the um, background in engineering and also having the qualifications in nursing and so forth, measuring things, measuring nursing things, etc. Anyway, I'm, uh, I'm waffling. Yeah. I'm waffling. So the but no, we, we've got people coming in to parapsychology from a background in anthropology, philosophy, theology. But um, physics and all sorts. So hopefully, by bringing in all these different fields to actually approach the paranormal, it's helping advancements in paranormal research. Okay. Um, because we're not just looking at it from one angle and purely believing that everything is down to psychology, when clearly it's not going to be the case. All right. And Steve, quickly. Draw breath. Yeah. Thirty seconds. Actually, more of the same. Um, this continuing as long as it, it's been, as long as people have been, I mean, as long as people have been seeing ghosts, people have been interested in investigating them. Mm -hmm. so ghost hunting will never stop. But at some point, um, the media frenzy-driven interest in ghost hunting will quieten down. People will, there will always be a, a core of people that will investigate. Um, but I, I rather fear that. Um, they will, the rest of them will move on to something else, big cats, flying saucers, <laughs> aliens. Little orphan annies. Little orphan annies. Anyways, I, I, I think myself that the more people get involved and the, the more information we can collect, I mean, some of it will be looked at the wrong way, or read the wrong way, but in contributing, we'll move forward. Um, you don't like parapsychologists. I think parapsychologists. Oh, cute. Yeah, yeah. You don't like me. You don't like mediums, but that's fine too. But uh, anyway, you don't like orbs. I can understand that too. But uh, adding all these features, I mean, it works out. So, anyways, uh, Steve and I uh, have a show called Ghost Chronicles International. Oddly enough, it's on Tuesday night. Uh, Tuesday nights in UK, Tuesday afternoons in the US. And we bring in all different types of people, even some we don't agree with. Uh, usually we don't agree ourselves, but that's another point. But uh, that's what we really need is a dialogue in, in the paranormal to move ahead. And we can't exclude, we can't make fun of other people other than Steve. And uh, <laughs> that's pretty much it. I think we need to wrap this up. We do. Okay, so we got we got through our first show, and I want to thank you, Anne. Congratulations! Yeah, we did well. Fantastic. Thank you. Although Ron took the pretzels off me as we came. This is this is all digitized. It's not really there. This is all hologram. Watch my hand pass straight through it. See.